Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome along to the third episode of the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international Johnny Beatty and former France international Benjamin Kayser. We've got a massive guest coming up on the show today, so we won't dwell too long before getting him on. But how are you two, first of all? How's your week been, Benjamin? You settling in okay? Yeah, um, interesting. Still still the same stories about builders and, and work done and obviously their, their efficiency at keeping deadlines. That has no borders. That means French, English, whatever. They have zero clue of, of deadlines, which is quite frustrating, but we'll get there. And Johnny, we'll get into your weekend in a minute, but um, we've got a slight deadline today, haven't we? Because I mean, you've got a school's worth of, of kids coming around for lunch or something. What's going on? So the opposite of England is actually a French canteen strike today. So um, I think I've got about half of the, um, half the neighbourhoods coming around for lunch. So I'm on a deadline to get finished pick up, I think, seven children and get them back here and get them fed because canteen's on strike and all other parents are at work. So picking up some slack from my neighbours. Well, last week you were working for French TV, Johnny, and I asked you this week before we came on, I was like, which game did you do at the weekend? No game this weekend. What were you up to? No, I had an amazing weekend. Um, so there's this tournament that I've seen. Thanks like, for the maybe, invite, by the way. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> it was last minute. It was last minute. And I've seen it during my rugby career over in France. So basically, Yann Delague, who's an ex-French international, played for Toulouse and Toulon, he organizes this water rugby tournament every year, which is a mix of ex-French internationals and then like some Babas guys, some internationals and people from around the world. And so what they do is they basically create a pontoon, which is a rugby field, and you play touch rugby with the old boys whilst drinking beer at halftime before and after and after and after. And you do that for three days. Um, and so it's normally in six locations. They're in Perpignan, Toulon. They'll be up in Nice and they sort of dismantle this pontoon and bring it down to different towns on the south coast of France. But this year they just did one. It was in Toulouse and it was awesome. Um, so got to catch up and, and again, meet people and talk with people that I haven't seen in years from playing against them, like Fabien Palouse, obviously Jan Deleg, Cedric Heymans, you know, legends, Ellis Ald. And then on the English, English side, the Baba side, there was Joe Rococo, Chris Massoy, Simon Shaw. So it was an epic weekend, um, really relaxed, touch rugby and getting wet, jumping into the river in Toulouse. It was great fun. And they do a, a winter version, don't they? They call it the Six Nations in, in the winter. So you go from like two days in Courchevel and then Tigny and whatever, you have six locations. And it's on my to-do list, 150%. 
Well, we will discuss the top 14 action and look ahead to the European quarterfinals this weekend later on. But first, there's been a few kind of talking points that we can touch on uh, before we get our guest on. So, Benji, one of your former teammates had to retire this week um, and he played his last game at the age of just 28. Have you got any good memories of uh, Vito Kolalishvili and um, how hard was he? Because he, um, he got a load of yellow cards, didn't he? Well, I... I'd... <laughs> So Vito Kolejvili is one of the strongest athletes I've ever met in my life. Like he was a freak of nature. Well, he is a freak of nature. He is strong. He is rapid. He's endurant. But I mean strong. I mean, I think he's got like a bench press, uh, 190 kgs PB. He can deadlift 250 Ks three times. He, he's just a freak of nature. You get those big props basically that can lift, but they can't run. He can do everything. Hardest man I've ever met. It took him a while to, uh, to get used to sort of yeah, being disciplined and all that. But then his way of playing was about aggressivity, physicality, and just being 150% committed. Unfortunately, he got a few knocks. And it's that gray zone where, you know, do I come back too fast or do I take my time and this and that? And to be totally honest, and it's a sad story, but it's, it's true. I knocked him out his last game. It was against La Rochelle. We both went because I was basically halfback. So he's not that tough, is he? I mean, no. but uh, I was halfback and, and the guy is the, the typical thing. A guy runs between him and I. We both try to tackle him. You know, our heads swing around, bang. But I caught, catch him right on the edge. Whereas me, it was like, a, I can't even remember. But and poor thing, he just never came back. So um, I was really close to him towards the end because he then retired, sort of stopped in the same time as me. We were doing CrossFit together in Clermont and he was still just gradually getting there and thinking of at 28, I was like, so you're quitting. He, he couldn't digest it yet. So he was like, oh, I'm just going to give my, my body just a little month more, two months. He knew inside. But that, that's the tough battles that I, I wish never happened to anyone or at least when you're 35 and you've been there, done that, you know, it's easy. It's, it's a super, super tough one. Good job. He's got good mates like Dato Girakashvili, the big tight head prop who retired as well, who was really trying to be in his head to be, listen, just don't be foolish. You can play with a busted knee. You can play with a busted ankle. The neck or the brain is just completely different. And um, so he took the right decision. I'm really happy for him. I think he will be relieved. He's going to go back to studying. And um, his, his dad is actually like a Georgian legend in terms of um, he's a, an actor. So he's massive in Georgia. And it's, it's, it's funny because you didn't really see that when you saw Vito smashing people day in, day out. And all the Georgian guys, his, his father is like George Clooney of Georgia. He's like huge <laughs> and a good looking fella and stuff. So I'm sure his, his father will push him, you know, to do other stuff and business and like more sort of yeah, literature or poetry or he's, he's, he's into that. So good on him. Uh, fantastic bloke. Unfortunately, he's one of those stories where when the body says stop, you have to listen. Well, I don't know what the uh, Georgian equivalent of Hollywood is, but we look forward to uh, seeing Vito on a stage somewhere, <laughs> maybe, or on a screen sometime maybe, soon. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Some other bad news off the field. An ex-teammate of yours, Johnny, Victor Morrow, has been in trouble, hasn't he? What, what's happened to him? Um, so it was actually the, the second time he's been in trouble since he was at Cast. So Cast let him go after this incident, but he came out of a nightclub in the middle of Cast. I think got an altercation with the military bloke and, and broke his jaw in two places. The guy's been drinking out of a straw for two months. This is 2019, but he just got a six month suspended sentence. Um, so again, he's, he's got two years being looked after and, and surveyed by police to make sure he doesn't do anything else. He's now at Agen still playing. They picked him up after Cass release him, but messy. And he's not the only one. So Lopetti Timani as well, Sitolecki's little brother. I saw he also got um, a big fine and another six month suspended sentence. So there's two blokes in France this week that have um, had nightclub nightclub issues, shall we say. Um, but Victor, again, just daft. Like he's, he's got huge potential. He's a massive bloke, um, a good athlete. 
and just sort of he's wasting it um to be honest he, he's an absolute freak again Victor is one of these guys, a freakish athlete. He's, he's got the world at his feet. And if he just sort of applied himself, he could be seriously good. So disappointing news, disappointing for Cass to lose him, disappointing for him on a personal level. Um, and obviously not good news for French rugby. I mean, a little slap from Victor Moreau or from Colleguevilli or from Lopetiti Mani is like getting a piano across your face for any <laughs> normal guy. So it, it's tough. It really is tough because it, you're not treated like everybody else, but you have to because you're, they're so big. And so sort of lethal. They have like weapons in their hands and in their, in their guns that unfortunately you have to tell them you cannot behave like everybody else. You cannot go out and, and act something stupid. You don't think, you know, the, the consequences can be absolutely ginormous and they have to be tough. And just for those who weren't completely sure who Victor Kolelejvili was, he's the guy that pushed Wayne Barnes when we played against Ospreys <laughs> out of the line. And everybody sort of looked, what did you just do? But he was that, that was type amazing. of guy. It was just, he, yeah, it was. <laughs> I remember Alwyn Jones looking at me. He's like, was he serious? It's like, ah, what? And we looked at the replays. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. He's going to get a yellow or something. It's not possible. He literally pushed Wayne Barnes as if he was like a pack of chips or something and just chucked them out of the way. So <laughs> complicated. And also off the field, but on a, on a slightly different note, they've already got a stake in the Premiership, the Pro 14, Six Nations as well. And now there's a rumour that CVC wants to buy a 20% stake in the top 14 for 200 million. Can you see that happening? And would it be a good thing? It's a really funny one because I don't believe there's much money to be made in rugby as it stands, as it is now. But if these funds basically start saying, because they're purely, they, they don't, it's not they don't care about the sport but they, they care about the business side of things. But it's, I actually see it as a good thing. If people see that you can invest in money, money in rugby, if it's still controlled, so they don't own, they're not going for the ownership of the, of the rules of the competitions. They're only going for the commercial rights. So they own 20% of Six Nations, let's say, but they have 80% of the commercial rights. So they'll do the sponsors and they'll do the, the broadcasting rights, which to be fair, you need absolute professionals to do that. They took Formula One, from being valued, I think, 1 billion to 1.9 billion. So if they can do that to rugby and actually give all that money back sort of to the clubs, we can actually finally create a system that is um, sort of balanced and actually real instead of just being, like we said, an open checkbook for presidents at the end of the year. What I'm really scared of is the way they're going to get to that. They're obviously going to influence the way the rugby is played, organized, the structures. I'm afraid that the player welfare and sort of health it's not going to be in, in the middle of the strategy because you're going to have to uh, travel a lot. You're going to have to organize crazy games. They're going to want to create the NBA. So it was only a matter of time before they looked at top 14 because top 14 is, is, is a giant, giant uh, in, in that area. Uh, so I see it as good and bad. I have sort of the same concerns. And like you picked up on the F1 example. Yes, the turnover and revenue of the business shot up. But for fans, something like since CVC's come in, there's something like a quarter of people have access or watch F1 because everything's on pay-per-view TVs, access is stripped from fans. So from a fan's perspective, if they take over top 14, what's going to happen for a fan? Is popularity going to go up? Probably not. But are they going to make more money because it's commercialized in its business? Yes. So I'm worried from the fans' perspective that it's not in their interest. Then I think from the players' interests, I think already in France it's difficult for players because clubs are run by money men who aren't necessarily in it for the rugby and for the players, but they're in it for the business. Everything else is run by federations, whereas French rugby, again, has this unique situation like premiership football where it's run by money men. And I just think, yes, it might be short-term, fill the coffers, a bit of a financial boost. But I'm like, long-term, what is the knock-on effect for 
French rugby. We've already seen, for instance, this morning, there's been an announcement that the LNR, so the league, is going to go to war with the FFR, the Federation, over the games in autumn. They said, look, they're playing six games. We don't want that. We never signed up for it, so we're going to court. So already you've got these things that are not right and are not sitting right in French rugby. And I'm just not sure how adding more money into the pot for the clubs and strengthening them against the federation is going to help French rugby long-term or for the French national team or for French kids coming through and playing the game. Those are my concerns. You speak about the fans. I suppose one thing is in France, obviously, the, the TV rights absolutely fine. But globally, the top 14 is not available in as many countries as you might expect for a league with so much money in it. So maybe that's one thing that CBC would, would improve on. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, it's about time we got our guest on now, and we're setting the bar quite high early on, I think. Uh, we've got a real treat for you again this week as we're joined by top 14 and international rugby royalty in the form of the one and only Sergio Parise. How are you, Sergio? Very good, thank you. We can see a little bit in the background there. It looks looks good weather over there at the moment. You're at Toulon now, so how are you enjoying life uh, down there on the Côte d'Azur? No, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice uh, environment here to play rugby. So especially when you are 37 years old, it's nice to you know spend your last year with your family and uh, in a nice place. So I'm really happy to be here. And you said it there, how is the body? Sore. <laughs> Sore so, and... Uh, Tired every day, uh, you know. Uh, I think when when you play a lot of years, especially me that I had 
especially a lot of games to play in top 14 on with the Italian team uh, injuries and stuff is, is part of the of the job you know and uh, when you arrive at at this stage you just you must to manage your energies and trying to you know you uh, do uh, everything to be uh, <laughs> available for the weekend so of course the training weeks here yeah, are much different uh, from from the beginning so now I'm trying to you know with the staff here in Toulon to be uh, smart and uh, you know don't don't push too much uh, on training even if you know, it's sometimes it's difficult for me as a player, even if I'm 37 years old, it's, it's difficult to, you know, know, don't give everything in every single training. It's part of my, you know, the way to approach the weeks. But it's, 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 it's important as well to manage the energy to arrive, you know, in the weekend with, uh, you know, uh, energy to play. Is it your last year? Definitely. No, never <laughs> say never. This is the last year. Yeah, you must never say never. But no, definitely... Uh, uh, normally last year was supposed to be the last one, but, uh, you know, I obviously have this big issue that everyone trying to, you know, to approach that, you know, coronavirus may have a big impact in, in all sense, you know, not just for me in rugby, my career, but in the, you know, in the, in, in terms of, you know, the, our habits. <clears throat> so, of course, of course, my idea was to finish last year, last season. So, uh, hopefully I felt felt myself and especially the body feel feel well to you know go for another year so fortunately here in Toulon the coach and the, the president were you know interested as well to continue and to extend in another season uh, my my contract here so I was we were happy with that and uh, you know of, of course I, I want to to finish well this season and hopefully I can you know finish finish well. Was it strange moving down to the RAD after 14 years in Paris? Obviously, very different culture, very different climate and different people. But how have you found the move? Well, it was, was really strange. And at the same time, it was something that was not in the program, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I supposed to, uh, and I want to, uh, finish my career in uh, San Francisco, of course. Uh, I think everyone knows my uh, love from this city and this club. Uh, but the, the environment there was was not great and when everyone knows what happened in the last in the last months with uh, with the club with the with the staff when everything was changed and i think now the, the club is trying to go into the good direction so um I'm, I'm happy for that because i really love the club so what no easy no easy to move here because uh, you say different culture different people you know when you live in paris benji know very well uh, uh when you play in a, in a you know in a big city and uh, you have different habits and rugby is not as popular, as really important as, as probably here in Toulon, that everything is, is going around rugby. So was 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 really difficult uh, at the beginning, uh, you know. Uh, but, um, you know, when you have a family, the, the quality of life here is really, is really nice as well. Uh, my little kid really enjoy here, you know, swimming pool, have a lot of space to play. And myself as well, I, I, found, I found the club with, uh, of course, uh, a big culture and uh, the people here around Toulon, they really support the team. So, you know, it's, it's a different change. But even I'm 36, now 37 years old, I'm, I'm really glad to, you know, discover something new. Just give us an insight, Sergio, into what changed at Sad Francais. Because obviously you're there for 14 seasons, at, uh, an absolute legend at the, at the club. Was it, was it more on the, the coaching side what changed with, with Heine Camaro? Was it behind the scenes with Hans-Peter Well, Just give, give us an insight. Well, it's gonna take a long time to explain very well what happened because it, it uh, was was a was a was a long a long uh, you know process. But 
I try to make you simple. I'm, 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 I'm a kind of player that, uh, that I, every time I share my, my, my views with, uh, with the coaches, with the, with the club, with the dirigents, um, I'm known as well that um, I, I have a long career in South Francais. Uh, all my decisions that I make in my life uh, and the decision of well to play for a lot of years in South Francais club, who I have the chance to have two uh, top 14 titles, one Challenge Cup, but we spend a lot of difficult years. And, and I promise I can, I, I, I can leave South Francais many times in the past and maybe go into another club and have their titles, titles, or you know, winning, winning more, more games than I do in the last, in the last 15 years in South France. But uh, for me, playing for the club was more than just winning titles. It's important to, you know, when you put the jersey, you represent your club, and that's what I felt every time that I put the, the South France jersey. And things uh, changed, of course, when the writer Hans Peter Deal, that is, you know, uh, someone who is discovered rugby as well, was, uh, you know, the owner of a club with a big culture, a big uh, history as well. And, uh, and Enrique Mayer arrived with a new staff and definitely for him was no easy uh, as well to manage a club. Uh, he, he didn't know, really know uh, uh, the French championships uh, as well. He had a lot of difficulty with the language and, you know, as well uh, for the Latin players, Latin people as French or Latinian, when you don't have a good communication with the coaches and coaching staff is difficult. So I don't go, I don't going to go into the detail, but uh, in fact, I have another year in, in South Francais and I say for me, it's not, I, I just share my, my, my views with the, with the coach, with the, with the club. I say for me, it's impossible to success uh, working like that. And, you know, and uh, every single people take the decision in, uh, in, in that case. So I say, uh, I don't want to finish my career just be involved in my club, but in a, in a, in a, in a bad environment, you know. So I prefer to to leave, to be honest with my teammate, with the club. So I say I'm I'm really really sad to leave. I don't want to leave, but I, I can uh, go like that uh, and finish my career in this environment. So everyone in this position takes his, his own responsibility. I share my my talk with the with the owner. The owner makes his own decision. He trying he give the confidence to the coach. And I do as, you know, a normal single player. Just if you are not happy in the place, you leave. So that is what I do. Uh, it was really sad. I, I, it was really difficult for me because I had said before, I was not in the plan. But, uh, you know, I think in life you must do as well, take uh, responsibility. And sometimes you must take the decision that probably they're not the decision of what do you want to take. But I don't want to force the things. And especially I don't want to play. I never want to play. Uh, in a place, even if it was Paris, if it was my club, it was home. I want to play in an environment that I don't felt comfortable and I don't felt is, you know, uh, people work with honesty uh, around you. So it was not a good environment to finish my career. So I share my, my views, what I say. And, uh, you know, and after what you, you saw what happened in the last, in the last month was something that I unfortunately expect that will happen. And, uh, you know, I think everyone take take from this uh, situation uh, a lesson. I think for the owner, it uh, was important to understand that probably a club uh, is important to be, you know, managers from people that understand about rugby. Uh, of course, the, the last uh, director general of Francais was a, a guy who don't understand nothing to write, you know, of rugby. It was difficult to him as well to understand some dynamics. 
So, you know, things uh, change in South Francisco. I'm happy the club start well and they win their first game against Castro. So hopefully for them, they have a good, a good season. And, uh, and for me, it's, it's, really, it's really good to be here and discover something new and, and finish my careers, hopefully with, uh, with some title here in Toulon. All right, let, let me jump in, boys, because he, he's going <laughs> to tell you half the story. But, so I saw Sergio arrive in Stade Francais when he was, what, only 19 or something like that, maybe, or 20. Yeah in 2004 and this guy fell in love with Stade Francais because because it was the right balance between top level rugby but also uh, complete uh, complete lack of basically central focus around rugby he, he's, he's a curious guy who wants to do other things who wants to be able to discover other things and so he fell in love with that culture of rugby in, in Stade Francais where they promote that they want you to be different they want you to be edgy they want you to be to cultivate a certain passion of we're not like any other club and that's what he fell in love with. And that's why, well, if you link that with the, the, the playing quality, then obviously you, then you become a club legend. But so he fell in love with the, the idea that we are men in the middle of this group. And if you break the, the men's spirit in the middle, then you break, you break the club. And so we had highs and lows, like he said. In 2007, we won together. 2015, he beat me, so I hated him for a while. <laughs> but the, 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 they touched that core thing, which is they touched the humans in the middle. And so he can't really tell you, but when you get Haneke Meyer who, who walks in and the first thing he says is, ah, you guys are not fit enough. Well, that's, that's a bit of an easy conclusion. You know, you, just, you guys are not fit enough. Just ch- try to actually get what's top 14. What is it to play away? What is it to play at home? What does Paris mean? What does Stade Francais culture mean? Why did Sergio fall in love with, with Stade Francais 10 years ago? You know, that, these are the type of conversation that you should be having instead of telling me, ah, not fit enough. Go back to the drawing board. And like you said, they could see the storm was coming. There was just a, a problem of fit. It just wasn't, he was killing it from the inside. So I'm not saying he only Henneker. The whole organization was basically killing it from the inside. And so he had to go. So I've got two questions for you. The first one, Sergio, is that I heard, because, because when you were in Stade Francais, what I felt was that not only did you have to play, but you had to be the captain. Then you had to be the best every week. And then every sort of every Friday, you had to speak to the president about this, about that. About that. that was heavy. That was yeah. much more than a, pl- a single player should be asked to, to do. And so that's one of the reasons that sort of pushed him to be like, listen, this is just not fit for me. And when you got to Toulon, I heard that there was a 25-year-old Sergio Paris that rocked up in Toulon. He's got a big smile on his face, who's always chatting, giving banter, like the Sergio that I knew when you arrived in Paris, basically. But, and that's why you, because they just ask you to be a player. That's it. Just play, enjoy, mentor, obviously, lead by example. And so my, that's my first question. The second question is, we talk about Haneke Meyer, but now it's Gonzalo Quesada, who's in South Francais, who I knew that you got along really well. So does that mean that when you finish at the end of the year, are you going back to Paris to be part of the coaching staff? Oof. <laughs> Bam. Big questions. <laughs> uh, the, first, the first question, of course, Benji, you know, you know that when you're a rugby player... Uh, you're happy at home, you're happy with your family, you're, you're, you feel well outside of the field, uh, the more chance you have to be good on the field. And uh, of course, for me, in Stade Francais was, um, was everything. And uh, of course, all the little issues uh, around the club in terms of physios that have problems and, I don't know, to organize themselves. Uh, players are not happy because they don't play. All the little issues pass around me in the club because I was... It was a kind of everyone to have a problem, they come into me to talk. And because I have a big sense of responsibility for the club, and because uh, my only uh, objective was not for myself, but was for the success of the club, I tried to 
give every time this is information and I have a, and I want to have every time a good communication with the uh, with the president with the coaching staff because not for me not because I'm I felt that I'm I'm, I'm the boss and no no just because I want the, the club and, the, and be successful not not for me and of course I spend a lot of energy on that. Uh, I arrived sometime at home. Uh, it was empty of energy. And my wife say, uh, I, you know, when, when you're not happy, when you arrive from the, from, for the, from at home from the club and you feel like you are empty because you train, obviously you must play, you must be good on the field, but you have a lot of uh, things uh, out of the field to manage. What stage was too much. And of course, was was not just Eineke Meyer because he has his... Philosophy, maybe as you say, Benji, he have probably uh, you know he thinks we don't we are not fit enough, and probably sometimes we, we were we were not fit enough, but it was not just that. And uh, and and a successful club is is a culture. Uh, I, I I say nothing new. I think everyone knows that a club uh, start for say was different. Everyone know it, and I was really happy to represent that. Uh, but when we arrive in a club, you must be fair. With the people, so you say Saffron say was that with Max Wazzini, whatever. And now it's gonna be another club. It's gonna be completely different. Okay, you be clear, you be honest, and if you want to jump in, you jump. If you don't <laughs> agree with that, you go out, and it's simple. But when you arrive in a club, you say we're gonna want to, we want to keep the culture of the club. You wanna, but actually you do completely the opposite. Well, there are <laughs> a kind of big, big difference. So for me, it was not acceptable that. So I, I just. I just be honest, and all the players, all the directors know that. So I'm not the kind of player that's gonna say, "Oh, Benji, you're a really good guy," and from behind say, uh, he's, "He's an asshole." <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I say the things directly, and I don't want to be the friend of everyone. I just want to be a guy who, when you look at me, you know what I'm thinking of you. I don't want to be the guy who do the little smiles every time. No, no. If if you if I like you, I show you. If you don't like me, if I don't like you, I show you. It's it's simple as that. And of course, when I arrived in Toulon, it was easy because I don't have all this issue out of the field. So just focus myself on play, on um, playing. And uh, of course, I found myself very well, a young young team. So uh, for me, uh, as as a player with a lot of <laughs> experience, was. What's good to you know, trying to share, to try to you know, give some confidence uh, to the, to the young players of the team. And uh, for the second question, well, uh, I, I'm not the guy who likes to you know make uh, you know uh, long-term uh, projects because you know you never know life. I supposed to finish my career last year and finally I go for another year. You never know. Of course, I'm. I'm really happy that Gonzalo arrived in San Francisco because I know the the person, uh, I know the quality, uh, the human quality uh, that he had, and I know as well that he's a, a really smart guy. Uh, even if he have long speeches, he talk too much. <laughs> he likes to <laughs> to talk a lot, but uh, he's a good person, and I'm really sure that he's gonna have a great deal with San Francisco this year. And after that, I don't know, uh, Benji. You know, um, I, I will I will be I would like to uh, go into coaching after my career but I think it's a process as well and uh, as a player when are, when you are young you don't expect to be uh, on the you know playing every single week every single week and be the best when you're young you work hard to maybe one day expect to play in the first team and when you are right there you must to play well every weekend to you know uh, keep your position on the team and after that you want to play in your national team you know it's step by step so I don't want to rush I don't want to make I don't want to make a call just because I'm happy to, I want to have the time as well to prepare myself for, for, for another, another kind of experience.
So I think you've been incredibly honest and there's not many players that would say, look, it wasn't working. I had to move on. I think that's incredibly brave and I respect you massively for doing it. How pleased are you now that Gonzalo is back at the club and the culture has shifted back to where it was? Because for me, you made completely the correct decision to leave. If you looked at Stade Francais games last year on the pitch, it was a disaster. But now, just that first game away in cast, you see there's a belief about them. They play for Gonzalo. And obviously, behind the scenes, the club is doing better. So how relieved are you that A, Gonzalo is back, the club is back on track, and that culture is back where it should be for Stade Francais, your club? Yeah, I'm really proud, and especially um, I'm, I'm don't, I don't have any regrets about my decision to leave. Even if I knew I have another year contract, I, I, I have another option as well. Just shut up, stay there, wait. But for me, it was... First, no fair for myself. Second, I don't know if the owner, Hans-Peter Bill, will change his opinion about everything, or if he's going to continue. So I can, I, I, I can put my career for the respect I have to myself and all my career. I, I can't accept that. So, of course, it was something that I knew that was going to happen. So happy that the, the club now is changing. And it was no, no really difficult to shift a little bit uh, of course, Tom Lombard, he knew, uh, he knows the Stade Francais, he knows the rugby championship, he know, and I talk with him as well, he know, uh, you know what's happening in the club. Uh, Gonzalo knows really, really well the culture of the club. And uh, it's, it's a shame because the club lost one year and a half and they had really close last year, maybe without the coronavirus, probably playing for going in pro-de-deux. Pro, pro so was was, you know, was was difficult moments, but now you see that sometimes to change a little bit, the you put the players in a good environment, you put the players with people around you who is honest, and Gonzalo is in, was the perfect person for, for Stade Francais, especially what happened in the club in the last one year and a half. So, of course, Stade Francais, now with Gonzalo, he know, he know the players, uh, he know the club, he know the culture of the club. So, the shift for me was not very difficult. So I was impressed for the they they the winning against Cas because they had a lot of problem with the with the COVID. But uh you know I'm 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 sure that this year Stade Francais is gonna be is gonna be fighting uh you know for, for being the top six. I'm 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 sure of that and of course I'm I hope because I love the club. And we've spoken a lot about Hans Peter Wilde and about maybe what, what happened towards the end of your time there Sergio but I just want to rewind to the start to his predecessor as well because we've spoken on here and Benji's spoken about Max Cuzzini and you mentioned him there as well so what was your relationship like with him presumably it was better and he seems like quite a colorful character so have you got any kind of memories and stories you can share of, uh, of Max? Yeah there are some stories that we can't share but I, <laughs> no, of course of course uh, well Max was and uh, is, was my president uh, in Stade Francais he's still a friend still have contact with him was someone uh, a nice person? You know, it's difficult to uh, trying to describe a little bit Max because people from the exterior have just you know an image of maybe probably a president a, a little bit eccentric. Uh, he do things that any president in the world do uh, in a rugby club. He changed a little bit the you know the the view of from the people about rugby. You know, a really sport a sport just. 
for men's. Uh, you know, when he bring first first game with a pink jersey was like a joke. Everyone say, I remember we put the jersey when playing in Perpignan away, and you know, like the people there, they're really really <laughs> hard. And everyone, every single club hate Paris, and of course you go there, and then, uh, and the crowd when you saw the the, the team would go out with the pink jersey was everyone, you know, joke about it. But when you see that, after you see that, well, the first time was like, a, well, it's a joke. Everyone's, but he changed the approach of the people around rugby, you know, the sport. So it was not for him was, was rugby, a rugby game was the part of a big show, a big spectacle. He, he, he bring in, another kind of supporters as well. Uh, the, a lot of, uh, women, little kids bring to the stadium, going to see maybe a game, but going to maybe have uh, a spectacle before the game, see a rugby game and after see another show and, you know, uh, make games we play like with 80,000 people for just a single, for example, game of top 14 in Stade de France, plenty of time against Toulouse, Clermont, Toulon. And, and as a player, it's like, it's something that I'm really... I was really lucky to 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 leave that and was was for just for Max and he he trying to you know he have a really uh, close relationship with the player as well you felt that he loved the club uh, his player were like his <laughs> you know uh, his little kids he he loved his player and of course uh, there are a lot of funny things to to share and all the funny things that happen and Benji know very well <laughs> but uh, he's the, the, the things when you are a player and you have a pressing that he's involved hundred percent and he show you your frustration he show you when he's happy he show when uh, the things going well the things going bad but he's every time he's he's there and much was that he left the club uh, the club was was everything for him and I, I was really sad when he must to you know to leave the club and Thomas Savard was the, the owner. So, you know, it was a difficult moment for him. It was a big, big shock. So I, I was really close to him because probably he don't say too much publicly, but it was a big, big impact for his life, on his life, because Stade Francais was everything for him. But, you know, I'm still a big, big friend and definitely the best president I had uh, <laughs> definitely in all my life. And those, those colourful stories about Max, we, we maybe can't tell. Max isn't here to reply, but... Um... Benji's here. He was there at the time. So have you got any stories on Benji? Can we embarrass him? Anything you can tell us? <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Come on. There must be some stories about Benjamin Kayser. No, there's absolutely nothing, mate. I was an angel. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing he can't say because he became a little bit bitter when I started playing back row. There were so many injuries <laughs> that basically they had to chuck me in the back row. I promise you, it was hilarious. The best moment in my life and when, is when they picked me to jump in the line out over Mauro Bergamasco, who was another Italian flanker next to him. That was the biggest humiliation for him, poor thing. But it was those little things. Now, I've got a story to sum up Sergio, the way that he, he backs talent with a big set of balls, Let, let's, let's face it. Is, so we, we spoke about Fabien in, in the previous podcast, Sergio, about um, I think we share the same sort of uh, view on him. Brilliant coach, uh, huge brain, strategic genius. 
human-wise, a bit more complicated to the point where he actually decided to put Sergio Parise in 2007 on the bench for the semi. And the, no, you weren't even on the bench for the semi. You weren't for the final. Yeah, yeah. No, even on the 23 on the semi. Uh, Unbelievable. And, yeah. he, and he killed it. He killed it all season. But I'll tell you why he did that. It's because Sergio challenged his, his authority. Not by being mouthy or about not respecting. Uh, Sergio was always very dedicated to the team. But just because... He wanted to be creative. He wanted to, to think outside the box a tiny bit. And I'll give you an example. I remember that we had a meeting on the Monday after a game where Sergio was a bit flashy, you know, trying some offloads and trying this. He's like, Sergio, if I see you do one more Shistera, like a pass round bar, just one more, I'll cut you out of this team for the rest of the season. You hear me, hear me. He's like properly threatening him. Sergio's looking at him. He's like, okay, okay. And that weekend we play Ospreys in, champ in, in European Cup. And after 20 minutes in the game, he stands in the pocket and he kicks a 40-meter drop goal. He obviously puts it, and the first thing he does, he turns around, looks at Fabian, he's like, mm, you know, with a cheeky little face. <laughs> so he's got the talent, but he's backed it with, with, with a big set of, of nuts. And to be fair, he, he did it for the team, but he also did it to see, tell Fabian, like, listen, you're an amazing coach. You, you know your stuff for sure. But the, 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 player, the players make the team. The players take the decisions on the pitch. You know, so you will never take out of me what I do best. Exactly what you said. Uh, you want to change the culture of Stade Francais? You say it, and then you, you decide whether you like it or not. Why? If you like Sergio, let him do what he does. If you want a, a machine who will just do pick and goes and, and not make it ever a mistake, then fair enough, no problem. Just go pick that guy. But if you want him, then let, let, let him be me. Yeah, well, uh, I, remember, I remember, of course, to be out. That, that season was great because we, 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 we play very good rugby and we arrived. I play I play all the games. <laughs> I think I, I played the most part of the game of the season. And of course, when you arrive, you play well, semi-final and final was was not the, the 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 format was different at the time. So actually, the first four teams play uh, semi-finals and, and and then final. And when he said that he named the team, I was no even the, the 23. You know, I was was sure. I say I played all all the season and. Uh, and I remember, uh, you know Benji very well, uh, I was like launching and he, he arrived just beside me and he don't say nothing, but he, he looked me like a kind of little smile in his face and doing like this with the head. And I, I still, you know, eating and I look at him and say, what, what do you want? Like, what's happened? And he looked me like that and say, I, I know, I know you are, you're angry, but uh, you know, uh, if we win, uh, uh, you are the best. The first thing that they tell me, you are the best bagger of the team. Uh, but if we win in the final and say, Fabian, I respect you. you and I, I, I agree totally with Benji. You are a great coach, but don't find excuses. The, I think the worst thing that a rugby player can hear from a coach is an excuse. And you can't tell me because it's stupid. If you are a coach and you tell me you are the best backer of the team and you go to play a semi-final without him, <laughs> it's not a good choice. It's not a good call. You tell me, tell me that you prefer another backer for that game and sounds more uh, intelligent. You tell me, look, Sergio, for this game, I prefer to go with another backer. Another backer. Okay, it's your choice. You are the coach. No worry. But don't come and tell me you are the best backer of the team and you are out because have no sense. So uh, yeah, it was a difficult, a funny story because at the end and the final, I was on the bench, 
it was a difficult first half against Clermont uh, in the first half, and in the second half we get back and we win, we win the title. And after that, I remember we were a little bit drunk after the game, drinking in the in the club. And Fabian Galtier come for me and tell me, "I tell you, we're gonna win the championship. It's, it's for you as well. Uh, you coming in the second half." And I want to say, "Shut up!" And it's <laughs> funny, but uh, with the time, you, you remember. I remember like a, a funny story. Or or something different, something different. But uh, you know, when, when you are a player, I think that the best thing, when especially when you have, diff- I have plenty of coaches in my life in Italy, in uh, Stade Français a lot. You know, you, you're trying to uh, take the better of everyone, and and of course uh, for Fabian, uh, definitely one one of the best coaches that I have. Technically, definitely not from the human point of view, and definitely. No, probably the best coach to to manage a team uh, in the long term in the club. So definitely, coaching a national team, I think, is the perfect perfect situation for him. And just while we're on coaches, I suppose Patrice Calazzo at the moment. What's your relationship like with him? What's he like as a coach? Because he looks like obviously a very passionate guy on the on the touchline. Yeah, a lot of passion, and I think he's someone who is going hundred percent on the woman point of view, and uh, especially in the motion. Uh, he really loves his player. He like he's really close with the players, and but at the same time, he's really, 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 uh, uh, you know, on training every single well, really exigent. And uh, sometimes he getting mad and crazy even in training when someone dropped the ball and we say happen. Sometimes even so, so uh, too much. But it's his way to approach. But he, you know, it's someone who is. It's, it's, it's honest. It's someone that you can talk, you can share, and uh, you know, it's, it's for him here. It's a, it's a, he ex- extends his his contract. I think another three or four years. So uh, here in Toronto, there are a big, big, uh, you know, uh, project for for the future. Uh, obviously, I'm not involved in because <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, uh, there are a lot of young young players, a big, big centers. We're gonna be. Uh, available in a, in a few weeks, and uh, and obviously Patrice uh, have uh, not the big coaching staff because you have just just two two coaches with him, uh, Julian Dupuy, who was uh, who, who is a big big friend. We spent a lot of a lot of years playing together in Paris, who is wo- working with the backs, and uh, uh, Dazal Martini, who is a French a guy who is working. He worked with France under twenty, and he's working with the forwards. So uh, and Alexander Marco, who is uh, Benji know very well, who is uh, a, a coach, conditioning coach. Sorry, uh, who who is there? So uh, I'm I'm feel, I feel well. Uh, you know, it's uh, for me it's important as well to. I had a, a really honest uh, a discussion with Patrice before coming to Toulon, and he told me that he don't uh, expect to, uh, he don't want to pick me to the club. At the beginning, but because the situation was a little bit different, special because I leave San Francisco at the end of the season, and uh, and I just come into Toulon, uh, not for <laughs> for big big contract, but to come here to to have another year and play. And I say, look, I come in here to just another an extra player. I don't come in here to be a star or whatever. I just come in to to work to bring uh, something to the team and and to try to achieve. Uh, the objective of the team, so we have a, a, a nice conversation, and I think he's he's happy on his decision. I'm happy as well to be here, so you know, um, I'm, I'm happy to to work with him. Over the course of your career, there've obviously been lots of contracts, lots of negotiations, and it always intrigues me 
Have you looked at Pro 14, Premiership, Japan, Super Rugby? Which other different competitions would you have liked to have played in? And who did you have the most contact with over the years in your career? And um, what teams piqued your interest and, and who could have tempted you out of France? Well, I have I, I found myself in end of contract a few times during this last 20 years. So, of course, I have many contracts uh, at the end of my career in the last three, four years, a lot with Japan. Obviously, everyone know really, really, uh, you know, important in terms in from the economic point of view. Uh, but uh, you know, was was for me no, no even, no even uh, an option because I, I want to play in a in a good environment. Especially, I don't, I, I, I don't want to make options and decisions just by money. Uh, I, I am really, uh, you know, great because I had all my career in San Francisco. Um, I have good contracts in the club, even if. If I must, do, if, if if I would like to win more money, I definitely I don't play in Stade Français all this year. I maybe jump to England uh, or even Japan. I have a few contract, a few contact with uh, at the time with Bath, Saracens many times, uh, another club in France like uh, Clermont a few times, and uh, Toulon as well when Murad Boujalal was was on the club, and um, we were uh, really close to going to Stormers in uh, 2000 and eight or nine was was in the time was the, the same year when uh Max Rosini uh say and we we find uh, during the week during the holidays say look the, uh the, there are a problem probably uh Stade Francais we don't want to have uh, you know the money to <laughs> to go into the next season so I find myself in in the middle of the of the holidays with the the, the possibility to don't don't have any, don't have a club <laughs> So I have a contact with the Stormers uh, during the during the the, the the holidays. It was just a one-year contract, so just to you know, uh, uh, money was nothing, and it was just the experience to play to play Super Rugby. So definitely the only the only competition that I were curious to maybe play was Super Rugby. After I have a, a, a huge respect for the Premiership and uh, and of course it's I think and I have a lot of friends who play the the competition and definitely Benji as well and, and big clubs and so I know that probably will be for my career and a good experience to 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 live but I really I have no regrets about about my choices. And we should talk international rugby, Sergio, because you missed the opportunity to have your farewell Rome appearance in the Six Nations because of coronavirus. So let's not be around the bush. Are we going to see you in the Autumn Nations Cup? Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, definitely not. Uh, um, I have as well, obviously, a, a honest uh, conversation with Franco Smith, who's coaching now the, national, the, Italian, the Italian team and uh, obviously with the Federation. So, of course, both we, we, we really want to to have a, a, a one last game with the with Italian jersey but uh, for me it's important as well to do the things properly I think the important thing now for the Italian team is it's a new cycle uh, it's, uh, there are great backgrounds playing as well uh, in the Italian team so um, now the, the, the priority is going this autumn with the with uh, without me in the, on the team, of course, and probably and hopefully, if things and uh, are better in 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 an old sense in in February during the Six Nations, why not may, maybe play one last game uh, in Rome? Of course, I want as well to be fair here with Toulon because when I come here, I say to the club, I I don't want to miss game with the club. So because you know the big big discussion here in France about 
all the games that the French team must play and the all, a lot of weeks with the international players, uh, with the national team. So the clubs, they're not happy about it. So, of course, for me, it was a simple, simple discussion with the club. I say, look, I want to play one last game with the Italian team. So, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the idea is to have another, a last one game, a, a last game. But for the moment, it's going to be, it's going to be not, it's not going to be now in the autumn. And as well as that, um, those postponed Six Nations games that we, we had in, in February and March, if, if we go back a year, obviously the, the typhoon in Japan caused Italy's final game against New Zealand to be cancelled. Around that time, like obviously you were, you were very angry and there were, there were lots of players playing their last games then. That was a, your final World Cup match taken away from you. Just sort of take us back to the emotion of that and, and how you felt at the time. With that and then the Six Nations, do you feel a bit cursed that your final games are being taken away from you? No, no. Angry, angry was not the, the good term. Probably frustration. Uh, last game against New Zealand was not because uh, everyone think that was my last game. So in my head, I, I knew that that wasn't my last game. I was just frustrated because uh, the way that the game was cancelled. Because of course, I was the first person that I that I say before. A rugby game doesn't care. It's, it's just nothing uh, in, uh, in cooperation with the. With the with the life of people, so of course, if the typhoon and problems and, and they were they were you know some danger to play, there's no way to play a rugby game, of course. But uh, the only thing that I was a little bit upset about it, it was the way that was cancelled the game, and because it was you know last game New Zealand Italy, and, and and if you look that game, if you beat Italy, if you beat New Zealand, and you take five points, we'll be qualified. Of course, me, you, Benji, Johnny, everyone know that. That never gonna happen <laughs> to beat New Zealand by five points. But uh, in terms of uh, equality, in terms of uh, to be uh, you know honest, uh, you must give the team the possibility to play. And if not, you can't cancel a game. You can't have a different approach to cancel our game and different approach to cancel the other games. You know, so. If New Zealand must play that game to get qualified, you'll be sure. And I repeat again, we, we want to find a, a time to play that game. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that World Rugby uh, will say to New Zealand, "Well, I'm sorry, they're a typhoon. You can't play for Italy. You can't qualify. Uh, bye bye. See you in four years." So uh, it's simple as that. So I just want to be honest, and I don't, and, and I, and I, I, I understood at the moment that probably what I say they're gonna make angry or upset some people. But I doesn't care because I still thinking this is the truth. So I prefer to come to have someone to come into the hotel in Japan with me and say, "We are really upset." No one from no one comes to the hotel and say, "Look, guys, uh, we are really upset, but we can't play this game." Uh, even that for me was enough. You know what I mean? And especially from the Oman point of view, uh, imagine that I had I take an example. Leonardo Giraldini was a hooker who get injury in the world, in the last Six Nations. He make Huge, huge uh, sacrifices all to be able to go into the World Cup. He go into the World Cup. He were in the bench for the last game against New Zealand. We were training on Thursday. We finished the, uh, we finished the, the training. He felt well. We were in circle at the end of the training. So, you, you know, we have a good training. We go into the game against New Zealand. And of course, I repeat again, we, everyone knows that we don't have enough talent to beat them and win about five points. But in any case, you have a game to play and and just for him, for example, was a big, big uh, moment to, you know, play after the problem he had. And you have the coach to say, boys, the match was cancelled. So, of course, him or Alessandro Gianni as well, who, who finally he can play again. But me as well, we, everyone was cracked because 
was for emotional point of view was difficult and uh, and the way that they approach the cancel of the game for me was a little bit you know not really honest if you want to say but uh was something now from the past and, and after that well the six nation the coronavirus well was something that happened well i say well was not the time i think on the i, I believe on destiny so probably was not the time just to, to add on that i think you, you mentioned a few names alessandro zani and giraldini and stuff i remember when we first met there was a very very tight unit in that squadra azzurra between castro and uh, fabio ongaro and uh, gonzalo canale and all those guys and i remember you boys would would basically wait the whole season whatever the tour was in june if it was Canada, Chile, or whatever it is, you would just actually just love to go because it's almost a bunch of mates who are going like on, yeah. on holiday to play rugby and represent their country. And that's what basically, that's what sort of fueled you, right? During the whole time to make all those sacrifices, the love of the country and the jersey, yes, but also the love of the boys that are sort of in there. There was a lot of sacrifices. You mentioned that new generation, so was it Jake Pelledri and maybe Negri and all those guys. Do you think there's still the same sort of tightness in that new, new setup? I don't know the tightness, but of course there are guys who have uh, a lot of talent. They are good on field. They play well rugby. They play, they play good rugby, and they are, they are you know, uh, you mentioned Jake Poledri, uh, Negri, even Bramstein. They are great backers, and even behind them they have there are Dolph Italian in the background. They are very good. I think that generation change. Uh, of course, you mentioned a lot of names. Uh, there are big friends of us, and we spend a lot of years playing with Italy. And of course, we were like the kind of Nice group and uh, really, really big friends. I think the new generation they are they are a little bit different in terms of in terms of uh, approach of group. They're still good players, but I think sometimes you must you know as a group you must be a more unit, especially for for them, for the future, for the young players that are coming. Uh, it's important you know to have as well the big influence on the team, have a big personality. I think that the, the big, big actually difference between the new, the new generation, they are, they are in terms of character and in terms of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big, 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 for me, it's a big discussion, but I, because it's a question that I had a lot about what is the big difference, the big difference. And sometimes if I say that, it sounds like, ah, look, the old guy who thinks that before everything was better and now everything is shit. It's not the case. But I just say that, you know, the, you must have understood that before when we start playing, maybe Benji or Johnny, that the kind of uh, sacrifice you make to arrive in a place, when you arrive, uh, you must win every single, every single little things. You know, when you're training, you must win the respect for the old, or the old guys of the team. And now the new generation coming and jumping and say, well, we arrived, I'm here, and me and you, we are on the same page. And it's not easy to, to explain. It's not the new generation is, is, is living in a world who is different. Uh, when we started, we don't have the same influence that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram had. Some players will finish the game and jumping on their phones and looking if there are pictures of him on Instagram and if I saw comments or bad comments on him. So when, you're, when we started, we just be scared to go in Monday on the video and see a coaching just going on play and <laughs> coming back, you know, and seeing if you get in a mistake. And the first thing you would grab in the change room was a beer. It wasn't your phone yeah. to actually <laughs> check social media. 
Hey, to be fair, I don't think any young background in Toulon thinks he's Sergio Parisi when he rocks up at 20, even at 21 or whatever, when he rocks up in the chair. There's still a difference. There's still a massive gap. I don't know. But uh, of course, in Italy, we, we have a background with a lot of talent. I think they, they need as well to, to understand that uh, working hard is just a part of the, a part of the, of the, of the job. And I think to achieve big results as well, you must have a group uh, who is like a unit. And emotion for us as Latin, uh, talk Italian, I think for the French is, is like the same. You must have something more than just talent and good skills. And uh, I think uh, Italy now is starting a new cycle. And I hope that these guys, they come in like a unit and they can build, you know, for the future. I want to touch again on that old group of core players. So Castro, yourself, Canali, Bergo, Masco brothers, legends now. But captaining that side and leading it through the past 20 years, how proud are you now when you look back of how far the Italian federation, the Italian team has come? Yeah, I'm really proud. And of course, when I started captaining the team, I was 24 years old. It was in 2008. And I have players from like Alessandro Troncon, Perugini, or all the guys, you know, from 30, 32 years old. So when you're a captain at 24 years old, this was no easy. But uh, in some stage, I think it was easy for me to have them uh, beside me because uh, they helped me a lot. Marco Bozzolami as well. Uh, a lot of guys who, they're legend for the Italian rugby. They had great careers. So for me, was the, the thing was easy that wasn't just teammates on the national team they was friends they were friends they're still friends and uh and you know we we had games together camps uh matches in six nation as benji say tours in usa south africa whatever and we spend a lot of great time outside of the field and we go when we go in into the field we we had the kind of uh, between us was something that were more than just teammate you know we just we were friends and we we were to we want to fight and i think the people we have a lot of good, bad results during this 15 years, but we have good results as well. But I think in any single game you see from the Italian uh, side in the last years, you see players, they, were, uh, they play for each other. They, they never give up. They, they, they fight until the end. And, and even if we go and play against England, France, South Africa, we, we, knew, we knew that we were very difficult to beat them. But we go and we go again and we go again. And do that a lot of years and do that with friends, not just teammates, will make me, for me, I'm very proud of that, but it make me things uh, easy. And in terms of where Italy are at now, Sergio, and the talk around them, obviously there have been some bad results in the Six Nations over the last five years or so. And there's always talk about how Italy don't deserve their place in the Six Nations. or And then obviously the conversation turns to whether promotion and relegation should be yep. introduced. So, I mean, first of all, when people talk about Italy not deserving their place, like how much does that hurt you as a guy who's captained that side for so long? And then what is your view on promotion and relegation? Do you think it should be brought in or not? To, to be honest, I have this question a few times and, uh, you know, sometimes when you react like you're not happy, it looks like, looks like it's someone who is like, you know, a little bit arrogant or he don't, I'm, I'm somewhat, I think you, you must deserve what you have. I think the people who understand rugby, he can see the Italian team today. He can see the Italian team 15 years ago. And I was there, I were there and I saw the process. And, uh, uh unfortunately we, the Italian Federation probably don't put, don't put the good basis a lot of years ago. And he had the chance to have a lot of players doing that, 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 those years, myself and uh, like Bortolami, a lot of, 
the Bergamasco brothers, Castro Giovanni, a lot of good players that they, they carry that, that, that team for a lot of years, but they don't work for the future. And, uh, and of course, uh, it's Italy jumped in 2002, I think, or 2001 in the Six Nations, not just because they had an, 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 a card, an invitation to say, come and to play. They, they, the team at that time, they, they beat uh, France, they beat Ireland, they, they beat the team and they have, they have the credibility to jump in the Six Nations. First game against Scotland, winning in Rome. During the years, we had the good winnings against Scotland a few times, France two times. Uh, Wales, uh, Ireland. Obviously, we don't have the continuity. We have uh, the last five years we don't win in games in six nations. And of course, it's normal that people ask if we deserve or if we, another nation must to jump in the in the six nation. Obviously, it's not <clears throat> something that is make me feel uh, <laughs> uh, happy to understand. But I can understand that the question uh, are the question about our. Uh, you know, in, uh, to, to Italy to get involved in this nation. I I'm think that uh, Italy uh, deserves to be in the tournament. I think that the other team that deserves to have the opportunity to play against big team. We make a take example. Everyone talk a lot about Georgia, how they uh, progress a lot. And this nation that actually do a lot of a lot of progress. And as well, I'm think that they must to have a good. Uh, you know, it's it's like Argentina. Uh, Argentina was in a place that. Uh, he must jump in a big competition, but he can't go into the Six Nations. But uh, they still, uh, you know, uh, losing uh, with Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, and finally they they shock big teams. They big England. They go and beat Australia, South Africa. Say, well, Argentina decides to go in the competition. They go in the Four Nations, and they they see that they they have a lot. They progress a lot, and in the first two three years in the Four Nations for them was really difficult. So in the same in same say for Georgia, I think they. They, they, they deserve to play often against, against us, as we happened uh, two or three years ago in Florence. They must play against Wales, Scotland, the big, big uh, teams to progress. And when they're going to show they can't be able to beat that team, probably they're going to have the credibility to jump. It's just my, my view, my thinking. If tomorrow Six Nations say, well, we're going to have a relegation, uh, I say, well, <laughs> no problem. It's not, it's not my decision. I think it's, it's fair as well. But... Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, sometimes, uh, because it's Italy and we, we have more chances to be last on the tournament and going in, rele- in relegation or going in another and then Six Nation B is a lot of questions. But uh, imagine tomorrow you have Ireland or <laughs> France having a, a bad, bad year and finish end of the table. You think that Italian, the, Fr- the French Federation will say, okay, no worry, we go in, we play the... You know, it's... It's not, an easy, it's not an easy discussion, but uh, I'm, I'm open. I'm, I think it's important to, to be, and as Italian, I say it's not acceptable that you spend five years don't winning games in the Six Nations. <laughs> it's not, it's not, I'm not happy to say that, but it's the truth. And yeah, at the same time, I think, I think we, we deserve to be involved in the tournament. We show during the years we can be competitive. We beat a few times good teams, but uh, you know, you must be. <laughs> You know, uh, competitive every single year, and that's what happened. And, and I back again. I think was a wrong programmation for the Feder- Italian Federation during the last 15 years. That's great. Thanks so much, Sergio. And uh, we didn't even get onto talking about this weekend's quarterfinal, but good luck. Uh, thank you, thank you. I think Benji, you're going to be there. You tell me, you're going to be. I'm going. I'm going to be there. I'll do the commentary. Okay. I'll be cheering. If I do a shit pass or something, you say, "Don't worry, I won't look." <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Johnny. Nice to to see you again.
You too, mate. Thanks a lot, See you soon. Sergio. Thank you, Sergio. See you. Thank you too. Bye. I think he can speak English, right? <laughs> he can speak really well. I, I, I didn't. I did not know that. Anything that came out of that that, that surprised you guys? No, I, th I think it's the first time you sort of hear him say about the relegation that he, it's actually a discussion that has to be on the table. Uh, it's the first time you hear him express how heavy it was for him in in Stade Francais, and and he has another dig at Fabien Galtier. You know, it comes, it's it's, and he's he's pretty 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 spot on. No, I I think it's rare that you you get him to speak for that long and that depth and that like Johnny said, um, honesty. Well, let's hope by the time we get to February and March, we get to see Sergio one last time in Rome. Uh, right, let's have a very quick look back at the top 14 action from the weekend that we haven't spoken about yet. So um, we have Sergio on. Toulon were impressive, weren't they, against Leon? He was impressive. Um, running the show again, as he's done for years with Italy, with Stade Francais running the line out, pretty much picked apart Leon's line out, destroyed them at mall time. He was ball carrying, he was a nuisance. Um, and Leon didn't really have an answer. That was it. It was quite an attritional upfront game, but they absolutely dominated scrum time, mall time, um, bitch Leon. The one guy I was impressed with actually really strangely on the Leon side was Matthew Bastereau in a move that I thought, I, I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but the fact that he's now moved to number eight, he's in the middle of the field all the time, isn't having to sprint catch centers. He's just making a mess of rock ball, competing for ball, getting turnovers, smashing people. And he actually looked pretty good. He also has that role at line out time. He's the plus one. So he's a link man or he's there. Like he looked really good. Um, and as a skeptic, having played that position, I thought, you know, like you think of Sergio Parise on the tra traditional role, you think he's not going to be up to it. But he was actually fantastic again for Leon at the weekend. Really, impressive. and there's a, there's a lot of of work and and knowledge about how to control the game at the uh, control the ball. Sorry, at the back of the scrum. Yeah, and like you said, they got absolutely piled Lyon in the scrum. They it was a huge statement from the from the Toulon pack, I have to say, because Lyon are renowned to be very good, extremely good line out. Karim Gezal is now the lineouts coach for the French team, huge influence, and the Julien Puricelli in there, who is like an absolute line out guru. Uh, they, I think last year, if I think for the last three years, they were probably they had the best percentage in 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 their on their own take. So it's a big statement. They they've always been very very good, and they had a very good scrum with their old scrummaging coach who is now was with the French team Sebastien Bruno and they got absolutely piled and I don't know if you saw at one point there's a, a try from Lyon uh, five minutes out after a scrum where they get absolutely destroyed and Basta manages to sort of control the ball blah, 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 and basically flips it to the winger who then scores any guy who would didn't, didn't would have not known how to control that ball would have made a made a made a clusterfuck out of it and he he sorted it out 100%. And also you're trying to go open side, be man just exactly. to pirouette out short side, which if you if you don't play the position, you don't know how to do it naturally. You don't know how to go with the natural turn of the the wheel, but he, he did it. Picked up the ball simply 2v1, bosh somebody off and set up a try. So no respect. He was really, really good. And Johnny, you said last week you had all seven games down for, for home wins, but you didn't see Stad winning away at Cast. No, and fair play. I mean, they didn't have one... Preseason friendly, they didn't get to play their first league game, but huge statement of intent. You know, Cast won their first league game away from home, had two preseason friendlies, Stad no preparation, but you know, we touched on it with Sergio, the spirit and the culture and the, the bite that we just didn't see at all. Like last year, they were, they were garbage, they were, they were toilet. But under Gonzalo Caseda, a bit of a resurgence, a bit of a spirit, a bit of fight about them, and 
Makalu at number eight was insane everywhere, ball carrying, tackling, man of the match. He was phenomenal. Um, and they just looked like a team that's got the bit between their teeth and actually want to do something, want to challenge, which is great for the top 14. I thought they were outstanding. And four red cards in the top 14 at the weekend. So Curly Bale's got a three three match ban. I mean, is there something going on here? What? It's a standard Saturday. What are you talking about? It's, it's, like, <laughs> it's like the, the, the refs are going to get told off because there's not enough. What are you doing, boys? It's too many guys on the pitch. You know, they're, they're trying to solve. I had a long chat with Joel Juge, who is head of refs for European rugby and Six Nations and stuff about the new rucking uh, rules and all that. You know, he's just saying about making it fair and stuff. Well, the French took it in their own hands. You want to put a bit of space into a team? Let's just start. <laughs> throwing cards <laughs> bang 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 and Montpellier obviously a bit of very bad news for them in Hondre Pollard's going to be out injured for a, a few months but we did speak about them last week and their problems Mohamed Hawass and and on the coaching side of things as well they've started the season poorly haven't they so how big a miss is Hondre Pollard going to be and how big a hole are they in uh, it's a huge miss and they are obviously in a bit of a pickle um, they get a bit of a break now with the European games so time to regroup but Who's going to come in and play 10 for them? Are they going to pick up a medical joker? Again, firstly, really sad for him. That puts his Lions tour in jeopardy, which is really sad news for him on a personal note. But Montpellier on a broader piece, you just think, you know, they haven't looked threatening. They haven't looked coherent at what they're trying to do. And two losses for a team with that budget um, and that power behind them is, is really disappointing. So it's going to be, a, a, I'm going to say, a, tri- a tricky couple of weeks for them during the European games and they're going to have to come out fighting and show something in a few weeks time otherwise it could be a really difficult season for them yeah it's a huge blow uh, Philippe Saint-André already under a lot of pressure because he sort of got there to give a bit more of a f- Frenchness to this whole setup and I mean in top 14 I don't know about you Johnny but we were always talking about the two losses two losses is eight points eight points is always going to be the difference between the top six and the rest and so actually you think oh it's fine we'll catch up I am, I am extremely uh, skeptical that, that they will be able to catch up because eight points is ginormous. Eight points, like uh, Sergio was saying, Stade Francais can be contenders for top six. I agree. Except look at the teams that are going to compete for top six. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a monster that will not be there. There's, sorry, there's three monsters who will not be in the top six. You know, so that means that every single week you need to, you need to play, win every single game and you need three monsters to lose twice in a row to catch up. So that hardly ever happens. And so when you do 50-50, it's okay. But that's why when you win away, you need to win at home so that you double up. Otherwise, it's useless. And so winning twi- uh, losing twice, sorry, I think it's a hugely problematic. Racing looked good though, didn't they? And that, that's kind of thrown ahead to this, this weekend's uh, Champions Cup quarterfinals as well. But I just want to touch on Finn Russell. I mean, it looks like he never went away over lockdown, apart from maybe the rig looks a little bit worse. I don't know. But apart from that, I mean, it, it's got to be the form 10 in Europe, hasn't he? Mate, if you went to Dubai after, after getting chucked out of the Scotland team, I'm telling you during lockdown, he did three times around the world for sure. He was in, he was in the Caribbean somewhere. I don't know. He clearly doesn't, doesn't care. But I mean, he's on, he's on fire. Maybe we'll speak about it after, but I'm very worried for Clermont this weekend who don't, do not show the same form. Without the crowd as well, it just got announced they went from 10,000 back to 5,000. Uh, I'm, I'm worried to know what you think, Johnny. Yeah, firstly, Finn, the muscle Russell, uh, as he was known back <laughs> home, um, I just, just watching him is an absolute joy at the minute. It seems like his rugby IQ and the time that he has on the ball and picking out his options, his decision-making, all of it is awesome. And that's it. With him purring, and then you've got Kurtley Beal, Vakatawa, Zebo outside him, a pack that's going forward. He, you said form in Europe, but in the world right now, for me, there's not many people on his level. Um, and he's just outstanding to watch week in, week out. He drives Rasting around the pitch. 
picks out the right people, the right timing, and he's a gem for them. He's been, he's been phenomenal. So come on then, Benjamin. First of all, what happened to Claremont at Bayonne and who's going to win? Claremont Racing this weekend. For one, number one, what happened in Bayonne is that they, they got opposed to a team who had more spirit than them which is a very, very big problem because that's what Frank Azima said after the game. That was basically his conclusion. You can win, you can lose, no problem. You can make mistakes. But if you don't want to fight more than your opposition, it's going to be very problematic. And he says only two games in to then be talking about lack of involvement and commitment is very, very worrying. They, they, uh, they, physically, they were much better. But they, I mean, the first Bayonne tried, just to sum up the, the, the game for you, um, it comes in after, what, five or ten minutes of play. And Clermont are just going through the phases. They're going forward, they're going forward. And then uh, Rouet, the little tiny French-Spanish number nine who plays for Bayonne, who is the smallest dude I've ever seen on a rugby pitch. He is tiny. A little, he's a tiny little pickle. And he counter-rucks. Sorry, first he jumps on Morgan Parra just to the edge, spills the ball, and then he helps to counter-ruck, catch the ball again, and they play in the blind side and they score an amazing try. So they were clearly, clearly more up for it than, than Clermont, who ended up in leading, I think, 19-7 around, around the 60th minute and lose the game 21-19. So it's a huge game, for huge win for Bayonne, very worrying for Clermont. After last week, Two men down, Toulouse still put them under pressure. Could have won on the last minute. Uh, I was like, all right, Toulouse are very, very good. So you got to be careful. And it's the start of it. And, and Clermont had a few injuries. I'm just, I'm just scared because racing are hot. The one thing that could have helped Clermont is full pack stadium. You know, we're going to go and destroy them. You get that extra edge and stuff. 5,000 people. It's going to be amazing. It's better than nothing. It's bigger than us. Okay, I get it. But it's still not the same. And, and it's knockout rugby. So I'm, I am very worried. I think it will be a tight game and, and racing uh, show or oppose a huge threat for Saturday. Again, though, mate, they, they still can't defend them all. Like, it pickles my mind. They got absolutely shafted by Toulouse two men short at mall time and then against Bayonne two soft pushover tries in the corner like it just just proves you how much I used to do right exactly they're missing you they're missing you mate (laughs) (laughs) I was the one organizing on the side get in there get in there come on just harder yeah but not doing anything it just yeah it screws my mind also when you think of the quality and the depth and the the money that's behind the per player in that Clermont side versus the Bayonne side again we talk about it heaps in France but the spirit the reaction the fight you talked about Ruit, little guy, but feisty. It's just incredible that Clermont cannot snuff out Bayonne. And again, like you said, now at home, yes, but not on form. A huge game for them this weekend. It's going to be hard. Very, very hard. And we haven't even spoken about Toulouse yet and just how good Cheslin Colby was again at the weekend. But are they going to have too much for Ulster? Freak of nature, Cheslin Colby, I'm telling you. He is a freak of nature. I mean, he's, um, he's unbelievable. He, so I, I watched, I watched their, their, their game as well. I think they were... What makes me happy is that, oh, sorry, optimistic for Toulouse is that I would have been worried if fitness-wise, I thought they weren't ready yet just because Pro 14, no, maybe not Pro 14, England started before, right? But Pro 14 has pretty much have got the same number of games as them, uh, I think. But they, they seemed, you know, you just didn't know how fit they were going to be. Two men down, last minute, they can win it in, in Clermont. That means they're fit. Six-day turnaround, because they played the Sunday, they played again the Saturday. Six-day turnaround, and they, and they, and they, they smoked, uh, who was it, La Rochelle. 
Chelsea and Kobe was phenomenal. Uh, they've got a great side. They still rotated their sides. Both locks who got red cards against Clermont because it's France. Hey, hey, only one week suspension and they're <laughs> back in. <laughs> you can't do this to us. You know, and they're all back in. I reckon they will be much too much, much too big and much too good for, for Ulster. They just need to sort out a little bit their discipline that was quite poor against La Rochelle. Obviously, two red cards and a yellow against uh, against Clermont so that needs to be sorted but I think there'll be too much for Ulster I agree I think Toulouse absolutely 100% at home should be Ulster um, my worry for Clermont is that Racing coming and, and Racing could maybe sneak that one away from home with Finn fizzing balls left right and centre as he has been doing I think that could be a way win for Racing you agree Ben G, or are you going with your man no, no, I, I, I don't agree on that one. I'm very I'm worried. I'm, I'm very worried. Uh, the, the reality is what Johnny said, but my, but my heart and, and what the heart can bring, even with only 5,000 crazy fanatic fans, I really do think that if they get their act together, they can do it. And especially, you know how you can sort of play on mind games? Racing came to beat us two years ago, three years ago now. Uh, when we had that crap season where the only thing that we had was that home quarter. It was, a, it was the toughest season, honestly. We, we had 17 or 19 injuries, I think, at some point. Very, very complicated. And we just lost the racing at home in, in the quarter. And I think that will be the fuel of all week blacklist, payback time. And you, don't, and you know, Johnny, that however bad you are during, during the couple of weeks before, when you get in the mode of payback time, and there's quality, obviously, to back it up, it can make fireworks. So that's, that's the only thing that, my whole, that I'm hoping for Fingers crossed, because um, because I, I do believe they can do it. But at the moment, on paper, very complicated. That's going to be um, one of the games of the weekend for sure, Clermont Racing. Uh, thanks, Benji. Thanks, Johnny. And thanks to all of you for listening as well. Don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. Leave us a nice review as well. And you can watch us on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Au revoir. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.